0: Welcome to the capital city crew podcast join your hosts jeff owen josh and herman as they dive deep into the game of malifaux explore sophisticated strategies and creative
1: combinations but always remember in malifaux bad things happen hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of the capital city crew podcast i'm joined by my usual uh co-hosts friends and colleagues Jeff, Josh, and Herman, and we are here today to tell you all about the ice giant. That's right, Euripides, the new Neverborn master for Malifaux III, uh, although he's been out for a little while, but uh, new in this edition. And we're gonna hear all about how this dark horse giant is maybe a little better than you might think. And so stick around for that. Uh, We're gonna skip our usual tech talk, segment this week uh just for interest of time uh but we're gonna jump right into it so herman you were the one who who first brought this idea for an episode to us you want to kick this off with why you think euripides uh is cool yeah so i
0: mean sorry what's up
1: it's the ice right
0: he's basically vanilla ice yeah you're right the teenage mutant turtles from the 90s are calling
2: yeah, you keep this up, and I'm going to insert the song here.
0: Do it. Do it. Um, so, yeah, Euripides was a brand-new release to 3rd Edition Malifaux, and if you kind of go through, like, the Neverborn forums, they always have kind of this recurring thread of, like, hey, who is this guy? How do you play him? And I think it's relatively fair to say that when he came out, he landed with a little bit of a thud. And he is he's a lot of fun. It's a really cool theme you have ice pillars getting made, ice pillars getting thrown around, and this concept of kind of like the Cyclops you can see into the future. But the crew itself had a lot of downsides to it that made it very hard to pick up and play. So I kind of tend to look at Euripides within Neverborn as more of a dark horse. He is not nearly as bad as people can like claim he is, but he is harder to play than some of the other keywords. And so when you're kind of looking through like a tournament, especially if you go back to like in-person tournaments, you're doing like three rounds in a day, you're getting a little bit tired. You know, I can see Owen yawning right now. He's already on round three of this tournament. Like your brain doesn't want to work that hard. So that's where, you know, kind of the easier keywords tend to kind of lend themselves more to that tournament play because you have that fatigue going on. So he isn't someone that I recommend you start the game with unless you're like really into it. Like always, 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 if you like the look of the model, that is what matters more than anything else, because you got to assemble the damn things. You got to paint the damn things. And you got to stare at their asses as you push them across the table. False. But <laughs> Unless you're online.
1: Josh just turns his models around the other way. So he stares at the front.
0: That's actually a really interesting point. I never thought about that.
1: It's not for Josh you. Is- it's for me. Josh is more of a boot man.
0: <laughs> uh, if you you're definitely much more of a butt man. Um, but he's, he's someone I would recommend, like, don't necessarily get into Neverborn with them, but look at him as, like, a second crew purchase. And I'd say kind of your essentials, you definitely want to pick up the core box, you want the garyon, and the damned, and then after that you can kind of move out into different things like that.
3: Just not so, the boltongan. So does he have any other overlap with other crews? Are you going to get, do you able to double dip any of these models and other keywords? Or is it all just buying into your to do yeah. this?
0: That's uh, where it of gets complicated with him, because the Baltingan are off in a box with, I believe, the Rougarou from Titania, because they share a keyword. And then the Lissa share a keyword with Pandora, so they're off in a box with the uh, Aversions, or maybe? So once you kind of get out of like the Garyon and the Damned and the Cyclops, the Savage models are kind of scattered around in other keywords boxes, which also makes collecting a little bit of a pain. And it kind of ups the price of buying into the crew,
3: mm, but it does incentivize buying all of the faction.
0: Oh uh,
1: yeah! If you're playing
0: Malepho, play the damn faction. I don't believe in playing
1: keywords, but that's just my opinion. The uh, the Lissa is its own box by itself. Well, three of them.
0: Like I said, it's totally on its own, not packaged with the versions
3: whatsoever.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. The good news is uh,
2: the Boltungan and the Lissa probably don't even need to buy.
0: Eh, they have they have momentary uses. Um, so how? Yeah, sorry, what's up?
1: Yeah. So, question. So he does all this interesting ice stuff, uh, and you might say, "Oh, well, that's also what the December keyword with Rasputina does." Are there any similarities whatsoever in this, or is it just they both make ice and everything else is different?
0: They both make ice and everything else is different. Now, I will say, like, because when he first came out, everyone's like, oh, what about the Rasputina-Euripides Um, Euripides mirror match? He's actually really good into her because he can pick up the Ice Pillars really quickly and effectively with the Geryons just removing all of them and healing. So I actually think he's better into the Rasputina than Rasputina is into him, which is kind of amusing.
3: So why do you think Euripides hit with such a flop? Why... Did people have such an issue with the crew? What were the problems that people had in how they how they approached playing that that led to such a negative first impression?
0: So I think there's a few misconceptions that people kind of start out with him. And then he does have a lot of challenges that you have to kind of work around. And what that basically translates into is that he has a steeper learning curve than a lot of the other crews. And this is all these tabletop games, War Machine, Malifo. Uh, I don't want to say anything GW, but they tend to have a steep learning curve to begin with. So when you stack a steep learning curve game with a steep learning curve crew, it kind of raises that barrier to entry. But like one of the, right off the bat, one of the misconceptions is just because these guys are giants does not make them tougher than anything else. They are not. Okay. These guys are no harder to kill than like Dashel's guard keyword. Like they don't have any special extra wounds. They don't have any special extra stats. Like they're all step five across the board. Like they're they're not special. They're just big, just big models. And people people think you're you're buying these giants, and you know they're going to stick around. And no, 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 no. His six hole stone model it has six wounds and stats fives.
2: Well, to be fair, Euripides your, your has a little bit above average at fourteen wounds, but he still dies easily to the fire.
0: Yeah. So like that's kind of just one of the things. Immediately you got to understand is like the little cowboy dudes and the big giant guys are just as easy easy to kill they're not special so after that you actually get into the fact that they are big giant guys which means that you have a crew of primarily 50 millimeter bases which in malifaux is you have a lot of terrain in malifaux you have a lot of movement effects um at the time the errata had not come out so everything that was like a push is like center to center in a straight line Uh, now you do have a little bit more wiggle room now that that errata has come out Um, but movement, it was, you're slow. You have to maneuver around terrain. Uh, you're just, you know, you're these big chunky guys. Um, and so you have a couple of tricks to help you get around that. But if you made a mistake deploying that could have vast ramifications on your game. And if you're kind of like someone like me where I kind of suck and I get maybe one game a week, like if you don't deploy right and you kind of hurt yourself in that beginning, that's your game for the week. Like that, that's not a good feeling. So, you know, you kind of have that going around. Um, As a keyword in general, because they're newer to third edition, they just um, also had a shallower pool of models to hire from as well. So I think that affects a lot of the rules that the models have too.
1: I also think when you talk about size, another key aspect there is they're all tall. So not only are they wide based, but they're all height three or even four in Euripides' case, which means that the cover on a lot of tables that human-sized models are hiding behind is not going to protect you. It also means your height, uh, your your thirty millimeter-sized ice pillars, are are nice, but they're also not going to block line of sight. So you're going to get shot a lot. So against any kind of range crew, like I actually don't mind as outcasts playing into them, but because we have access to blown apart. To mitigate the pillars, but also there's just a lot of guns and they're giant, easy targets.
2: Well, uh, height pillars are uh, height four, but um, so the they're less. That's less of an issue. But as Herman was saying, the movement issue. It's easier for you to clog up your own guys than it is for you to. Uh, mitigate the movements of your enemies because it's a lot easier for a 30 millimeter base to slide between ice pillars than it is for your 50 millimeter base.
3: Oh man, stop guys. You're making this crew sound so appealing to play. Oh my gosh. I'm just so excited about going to buy the Euripides crew. Now, Hey,
0: Hey, you, this is your question.
3: So this is a, uh, you know, a lot of the, the drawbacks, a lot of the stuff that really solidifies its position as a dark horse what does it have going for it? Like it what what do your thick boys bring to the table? It
0: is a weirdly satisfying crew to play once you get it down pat.
3: Satisfying like you have, thick boys, oh yeah.
0: Yeah, it's basically like a um uh a Philly cheesesteak. I
2: th- I threw up a little bit, hold on. Okay, I'm good.
0: No, you're basically doing the tabletop equivalent of eating a Philly cheesesteak when you play these guys. It's weird, and it's kind of gooey, but it's satisfying. And so...
3: <laughs> oh, this went places. This went um, places, but go on. Eddie,
1: keep keep going. Keep.
0: So, once you get everything going uh, the way you want it to, you have teleportation tricks in the crew. You've got the ice pillar tricks in the crew. You have a lot of card control card manipulation within the crew and so it takes a while to learn all those pieces but once you get all those pieces assembled together it's like kind of feels like a puzzle coming together it all starts working and clicking for you and it becomes much smoother Uh, it's just a lot of extra moving pieces the other thing that's kind of nice about him is that he's a bit of a generalist so he can actually play in my opinion into all four of the strategies uh relatively effectively so you're not kind of pigeonholing yourself into one or the other or just play these two you know like something like nelly where you're doing a lot of control he can do the control a little bit he can do the killing a little bit he has the gameplay to kind of get around things and it's just you get that satisfaction of mastering something that people don't expect and surprising them badly with it
1: i honestly i hear a lot of similar kind of statements to our earlier podcast about the frontier keyword um, do you find that, that, that you're, you as a player are drawn to these sort of challenging crews to see if you can unlock them?
0: Oh, totally. I like, I like fiddly. That's kind of where I play at. Uh, the one thing I will differentiate is like, to me, frontier is a top keyword in guild. Uh, savage is not a bottom keyword by any stretch, but they're not like a top keyword,
1: but they are, I mean, they're both keywords though. That started out, well, A, they were both new in third edition, and both of them started out, I would say, on the lower end of the sort of opinion of power curve, but then both got some buffs in both Explorer Society models, and then, as you mentioned, the errata to pushes, which makes unpack wildly easier for your giant 50 millimeter thick boys.
0: I'm just really uncomfortable with you saying that now.
1: Well, we try.
2: Can we just call them cheesesteak big boys?
1: Cheese. <laughs> they're cheesesteak boys. <laughs> they're they're beefcakes. I um, mean, it
0: certainly it shows because you have the release of The Damned most recently, and The Damned is like that piece that the keyword was missing. If you were playing Euripides, you were playing The Damned. It is take that dude and put him just into every single list because he is he fills in all these different weaknesses and all these different slots that the keyword didn't have. You have kind of a similar effect with the sandworm on Bass, although Bass was doing okay without the sandworm previously. Um, So you do kind of have newer keywords needing those releases to kind of catch up and fill them out, certainly.
3: So you mentioned like weird card tech. I assume by that you mean the old ways, which is their wacky uh, keyword ability. Um, tell us a little bit about that. It seems like a kind of again, a fiddly piece of tech right there. Uh using your discard pile uh to cheat, even though a lot of things can alter what the top card of your discard pile is. How do you feel about that as the iconic ability throughout the entire keyword?
0: It can be a massive double-edged sword. Because like as you said, you're taking a point of damage, so you were hurting yourself, you were helping your opponent. And remember, this is where that expectations game comes into play, where these guys aren't any easier or harder to kill than anybody else. You're damaging yourself. You're hurting your opponent to use that top card or discard. And there are a lot of things that can also mess up using it. Anything that makes you make a flip before a duel, you're losing that top card or your discard. So terrifying, flexible morality, boring conversation. So you have all these things that can kind of mess up your plans. The flip side of this double-edged sword is like, okay, you've got terrifying, you fail it off the top of your deck, you cheat in a 13, you old ways, you reuse that 13 for the attack. So you have a lot of efficiency there. Um, And then like you can use the Red Joker back-to-back. Where you really want to focus in on using the old ways, in my opinion, is in combination with focus. So you do your focus attack, you make sure you hit the target, you get a straight flip, you cheat in that severe for the damage, and then you old ways that severe in for the next attack. And that's how you're kind of getting in your max damage and then your min damage. And that's how you're getting like the nine damage out of a garyon in a single activation. That's where a lot of these efficiencies come in for using the old ways and where it can really help you out.
2: Um, I use uh, the Old Ways a lot to uh, whenever I need a suit for something, uh, particularly like Eur- Euripides Ice Pillars uh, move uh, that requires a double tome. I'll use a tome for the first one. Uh, so whatever tome I need is six of tomes or whatever is needed to get it off. And then I'll Old Ways in to do it again so I get that free second use of that card. Uh, so that's sometimes what I'll use use it for.
1: And that, I mean, that's pretty huge, though, getting to you're not going to double all your good cards. As you said, some flips will happen, but being able to even double up on a few severes or a few particularly suited cards you need, like that's a huge change to your overall variance.
0: Yeah. It certainly pisses off your opponent quite a bit. Um, there's a couple of other things that kind of feed into this. Just it's kind of a weird, really random piece of advice, but when you're playing him, especially in person, shuffle your deck extra between turns because you're going to take all your good cards and you're going to put them in one spot. And if you shuffle sloppy, then that's actually going to come back and bite you in the following turn. So just make sure to shuffle extra.
1: So you you mentioned though that your opponent, and that's actually a really important thing to call out there because as an opponent, looking across the table at that Euripides crew and you see a 13 sitting on the top of the discard pile that, you know, they can just old ways in on the next duel. Like it really messes with you. Cause you're like, well, oh, crap, I know like, I'm not going to be able to hit him on this attack. Like, do I try to do something to make them cheat it out? Like, do I try to do something else knowing that they could use that offensively? Like it can kind of screw with your opponent, which can be helpful to, to do some mind games.
0: Well, the other thing to bear in mind is like you're still doing damage to yourself when you're using it. So when you couple it with frozen vigor, one way to think of frozen vigor, where you get this heal one and shielded at the end of uh, your activation is that's a free offensive use of the old ways with a heal one and a free defensive use of the old ways with a shielded one. And you don't want to go past that variance very often. The other thing is I think that people use the old ways defensively too often like you should be only pulling out face cards. You should only be doing it when your opponent's low on cards because you are still stat crap. You are still stat five. Most things in the game are stat six, you know, if they're doing the offensive attacking. So you can be doing a point of damage to yourself, then your opponent can still be forcing it through. And all you've really done is given them crit strike. If it's something that's very important to your opponent.
2: Yeah, uh, teaming that with uh, Harmon, the biggest mistake that I've seen uh, European East players do is using it for defense where you're basically adding plus one to their damage track uh, because with the exception of Thune, everybody is defense five. Thune is six, uh, but unless you're using it for the red joker, uh or you see their hand and you know what's in it you might as well go ahead and not use that 13 because i can't tell you how many times i've been like no it's a 13 there's no way they have a 13 then they cheat in a 13 i've hurt myself giving them plus one damage and now that card's on the bottom of my discard pile it's it's not a good way to use the old ways
1: right well and the key being that you have to declare it like it's instead of your flip right Correct. correct. So you don't know what they flipped and it's not like, Oh, I get to cheat this. That would be bonkers if it was cheating from the discard.
0: Yep. That's correct. So, so there's kind of like, even though in itself, it's kind of a simple rule, there's a lot of layers to it where you have to manage it offensively. Like I said, combo up with focus, or you have to manage it defensively where you're not going to hurt yourself. You're actually going to maximize your benefit. You have a lot of triggers in the, uh, crew, so you need, can use it to double tap your triggers, things like that. So there's actually a lot to it. And then you have Arcane Reservoirs, so also having those seven
3: cards also helps you quite a bit.
2: What Herman is saying is that Ogres have layers.
3: Happy 20th anniversary, Shrek.
1: <laughs> there
0: you go. <laughs> it really has been like 20 years, yeah. It
3: literally is this wow. week, it was 20th anniversary.
1: So, wow. Oh, man. <laughs> this, this is our, our uh, <laughs> wow. deep cut
0: why did we not get Mike Myers for this podcast?
1: Uh, I
2: can think of booked. many reasons. We we tried; he was booked. Uh, that being said, listeners, if you have a Euripides crew that you've decided to paint green, like uh, Shrek, go ahead and throw that up on there and let us see it. Uh, that would be kind of awesome.
0: But only if they have little white hairs from being in the sun.
2: Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> uh, do we want to keep talking about basic crew mechanics, or move into crew the actual crews that we use?
0: So there is some other basic mechanics that we do need to touch on, which is the actual ice pillars themselves. So it's not enough to just say like, Hey, he makes ice pillars. Yay. Let's rain them down everywhere. You want to be thoughtful with your ice pillar placement, because what you're going to find is that your opponent is going to figure out, Oh, Hey, he declared Euripides. I should bring something to eat those ice pillars. And it's not just destructible terrain. These things are markers. So things that eat markers will also eat your ice pillars. Do not be surprised and confused by this. Um, So, but, one of the things that also kind of holds him back and, you know, cycling back to challenges is there's not a lot of action efficiency within Savage. It's not like um, quick reflexes where you get like two attacks for one AP. It's like you have a Gary on, he's got two swings, and then your garyon is done. So what you were trying to do is you want to shuffle some of that inefficiency off onto your opponent as well. So when you're making all these ice pillars, you'll see that a lot of the pulses and a lot of the uh, damage shockwaves that come off of the ice pillars are actually a two-inch blast, a two inch aura. So it takes one inch in order for someone to remove a ice puller the old-fashioned way. Don't place them within an inch. Always place them greater than one inch away from your opponent, then they have to walk and remove it. So you want to waste AP, things like that. Always put them um, places where you're blocking your opponent in. So now they have to find ways to remove them. they have to walk around it. if they can get log jammed behind models that have already activated, you want to be very intentional with your pillar placement. This also will go into when we talk about strats and schemes is if you're intentional with your pillar placement around some of the strat markers, you can prevent your opponent from moving them like break the line, but then you want to place some just a little bit behind the strat marker on your side. So that way your opponent has to walk past the strat marker, remove the pillar and then do the interact. So you want to do everything you can to make it harder for your opponent to actually remove these pillars.
2: So uh, what 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 Herman is saying here is your Ice Pillars are not Rasputina's Ice Pillars. They're nowhere near as good. You don't get the free slow or discarded card if they're activating within one, one inch of them. Uh, so don't make that mistake if you're a Rasputina player. They are not the same, and hers are way better.
3: Well, yours are defensive Ice Pillars as opposed to offensive Ice Pillars. They're healing you and giving you shielded, which is still pretty cool. I mean, if you consider that all of these models are you know, comparably resilient to any other uh, equivalent cost model out there. Adding Healing One and Shielded to any of those is is giving them a little bit of a leg up.
0: And I mean, the other thing is like kind of touching back to Owen's uh, braggadociousness about his outcast shooting, is that (laughs) these do give cover. So if you pop them down and you're within three inches of one and his line of sight crosses that, And you got chunky base, so it's kind of your line of sight is going to cross that ice pillar in your base. Then you're getting plus one defense, and you're getting a negative to the damage flip. So you can give yourself cover against shooting crews. With that, that's something that Neverborn itself is somewhat weak against, uh, is shooting crews. So this can be an answer to that. Sorry, I think Jeff was giving me an amen.
2: No, I said and How? Yes, they, uh, Neverborn and shooting do not mix very well because for some strange reason, they thought that that was a great idea.
3: Just don't box yourself in. Don't. Yeah,
0: and that's, that's where boxing yourself in is a huge, huge problem as well. Um, and that's where the Geryons are very useful because they can just remove pillars that you choose. Uh, that is where uh, some of the Shifting Ice abilities like that on Thune, where they can move the pillars around to help you out quite a bit. But you want to be very deliberate with them.
2: So what he's saying is don't put the cheesesteak in
1: the box. Uh, Yes. I think we're forcing the metaphor too much. Um, So so speaking of, though, the, like, not boxing yourself in, this does sound like a thing where if you want to pick up Euripides, you should be doing some practice, like some solo unpacking practice, either in Vassal uh, or on the tabletop where you're like, okay, Turn one, how am I moving up the board? Where do I want to put ice markers? Like actually practicing some of that so that in an actual game, you're not going to be as slow sort of thinking about it or accidentally make a mistake that boxes you in and costs you the game.
0: Sweet Jesus, yes. This is the crew. You take the models out, you put them on your table at home and you take out your deck of cards and you play with yourself for like five minutes And reset. Um, You want to, again, be very deliberate. You want to know who's going first, who's going second, who has to be behind this person, where you need to leave gaps. If you're bringing a Cyclops, where is he putting the ice pillar for Euripides to teleport to? If you're just using Euripides, where is he teleporting to on his own? And then putting the second pillar so he can throw it. You know, things of that nature. So you want to be very, very deliberate. Um, Who's getting incorporeal on turn one? How is that going to allow you to go through terrain? So you want to try all the different, you know, standard, wedge, flank. Uh, what does it look like when you have a house in the middle of your deployment zone? Because usually your opponent's a jerk and is going to do that to you. And these are things that you want to know going into the game. So that way you're not boxing in the cheesesteak as it were.
1: Yeah, no, you, So you you're not no. It's not. No. It's That's really confusing.
0: <laughs> Keep going.
3: <laughs> no, please um, don't.
0: So that you're not icing in the...
1: No, no, just, just go. Just <laughs> no no metaphors.
0: So you're not boxing in your crew.
1: Yeah. You're only allowed to make Mr. Freeze jokes. I don't know. All right, Mr. All, right, Freeze all, right. Jokes. all right. Chill out. Let's keep going. <laughs> hey, no one puts Herman in the cooler. Hmm. Um, the,
0: and the other reason why you want to play this, and you, you want to play it with a deck of cards, is because of hand management and all the triggers... And all the suits that you're going to be fishing for. You need to know that up front with your crew and with your deployment. So it's a good combination of not just placement, but also cards.
1: And I, I will add, in this crew, you have the model that used to be in every single Neverborn list in second edition, but the arc the uh, what is the primordial magic for your arcane reservoir is the now, mighty puke snake. The mighty puke snake is now specific to this crew um
2: and don't overlook the primordial magic uh it is a significant model which most people do overlook uh so it can move around drop uh ski markers it can accomplish schemes itself uh don't overlook that it's incorporeal can go through through things uh and then it's uh i i think it's i don't remember if it's a tactical but it's uh pulls out from ice pillars is amazing unfortunately he's fragile as hell so uh we'll die with when somebody looks at it funny but uh i, I like the primordial magic a lot
0: it is kind of funny my primordial magic glass game killed the shadow emissary and ama Nozako.
1: wait what yeah <laughs>
2: utilizing that uh utilizing the ping yeah yeah i, I forgot what the name of it is but uh, it's it, called it, sheer it, cold Yep. Yeah, it basically does one damage to things around an ice pillar, which is just fantastic because uh, they can't. There's no way they can get around it. It's just one damage uh, pulsing out.
0: Yeah, it's Josh's favorite thing.
1: Oh irresistible yeah, incidental yeah. Oh. damage,
3: irresistible yep. damage on an atta- on a tactical action. Let's make your tactical actions actually attacks.
2: Oh my god, it's one damage. Get over it.
0: The shadow emissary didn't.
1: He did not. No, he used the Domino Zako. Cool, well, so we'll we'll get to a little bit about um, you know, this game this weekend, but uh, first, why don't we take a quick break and when we come back, let's talk, let's hear about crew building, list building. What are the styles of play? What are your key models? Who are your attic keyword picks? Uh, stick with us and we'll be right back. Hello, do you like our podcast and want to
2: ensure that it continues to run? Maybe you want to hear our outtakes on unedited footage. Or perhaps you're just flush with cash and you like being generous. Either way, we've set up a Patreon just for you. If you like us, please consider donating. Our Patreon can be located in the show notes. If not, we're all pretty sure that it's Herman's fault. Either way, if you like our show, go ahead and leave us a comment. Thanks.
1: All right, welcome back, folks. And we are going to talk now about the models that you want in your crew. Cheesesteak. It's not cheesesteak, no. Um, Herman, tell us about the styles uh, of Euripides' lists.
0: So, Euripides is kind of interesting in that technically you can kind of go in a few different directions. There's not a right or wrong answer. And one of the nice things that's when you're like kind of getting into him is his starter box is actually quite competent. The Gigants are very good models. Uh, usually, uh, and unfortunately in Malifaux you have a lot where you get, you know, the henchman, the master, the totem, and three useless minions who you immediately shuffle off into a shelf somewhere and never see again. But I like the Gigants. Um you know, stat six gun, ignores everything, uh, old ways, uh, all that is very useful. So one of the ways you can go, especially with the core box, is the Gigant gun line. So you have the two or three Gigants you use their teleport, shooting, blasting. They can do a lot of scheme denial. It's quite good for, like, break the line things like that, where you want to be able to put up a ice pillar, use that cave drawings, and really lock down interaction in a specific point. Now, as you're looking to expand past that, my 80% go-to is actually a garrion brick. And that's the core of the list, relies on kind of two garrions. This is where we start getting into upgrades as well. Um, and that's where I'll actually bring in Ancient Pact. So of Neverborn... There are three different uh, upgrades. You have Inhuman Reflexes, Ancient Pact, and Eldritch Magic. Inhuman Reflexes is a fantastic upgrade. It's really good, just not on Savage. Uh, Scamper with a 2-inch melee and Extended Reach on the Garion is nice, but not compared to Ancient Pact. If you have Ancient Pact, take two. It's really good in Savage because everything you're taking is minions, which means you'll get all three benefits right off the bat. And you're getting the card draw, At the end of every turn you need this because you're playing all these different card games you're getting the plus two initiative which is really solid it lets you get up your cave drawings earlier it lets you kind of get those alpha strikes heal up if you have a model that's damaged and then you can also always toss out that black joker and if you're looking at black joker management specifically if you have Euripides he has intuition so he can see black joker coming. You have Thune, who has Intuition. He can see the Black Joker coming. You've got two Garyons. They both have Ancient Pact. They'll ignore the Black Joker. That is roughly right there, 60% of your crew, who just does not care about the Black Joker at that point or has mitigation strategies for it in any case. So that's something that if you really get tilted by the Black Joker, that's something that this crew really specifically brings for you that's useful. Uh, The final one, Eldritch Magic. It's very niche. I've taken it actually on the puke snake, the primordial magic, to have a little dispel, because he's usually got some extra actions going on. There's some like the Brewmaster, where you know they're gonna be coding on a lot of conditions, you kind of get that extra removal. Uh, it may be maybe it's more important now that distracted is thing. I'm not sure. But it's a very niche one to kinda of bring in that upgrade. So yeah, so the Garion brick, two Garions, two ancient packs. Remember we're always including the damned no matter what. That's your core list for that. So that's gonna be eighty percent of at least the lists that I play. After that, I nicknamed it Frigid Friends. Uh, Euripides himself actually has no Savage dependencies. You can Super Friends in anything you want, and it's going to work more or less the same way. Euripides is your main ice pillar creator. Even in the Savage keyword, there's only two other models who make them, and he works just fine without those other models. So you can actually do the Mysterious Emissary and Hinamatsu and all these different versatiles And that's something that you kind of want to save if, like, I am playing Euripides in this tournament, and it is going to be Euripides, and I run into a matchup where I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell am I going to do? And then you can bring in all these solution pieces. You're not too worried about losing synergy, things like that. So it's not a keyword that really breaks down
1: in that sense. Okay. How does that – so, Jeff, how does that compare to your lists, or are you pretty much on the same page?
2: Um, no, I haven't. Uh, not that they're bad. Uh, I haven't really used garyons. Uh, I have an aversion to them because of their models. They look like giant lumps of clay that were just stuck onto a model. Um, I've I told the actual, been told the actual model themselves look a lot better, but uh, I stuck more with gigants, or gigants. I don't know how you pronounce them. Uh, I like their utility of uh, being able to shove people into ice pillars and teleport them across the board, uh, as well as their... Uh, their ranged attack unfortunately their ranged attack is really low uh is a really low range uh so they're still somewhat in damage but are somewhat in in uh, a threat range uh, anytime they're using that but uh i take a black blood shaman to pulse out focus uh to the the throwing rock giants and use euripides to kind of uh shield them uh with uh, a lot of the times i'll also bring in candy uh to help to basically tie things up uh, and play kind of more of a uh, throw things at them and kill them, and if I need to, teleport up the board uh, with Shattering Surprise and uh, jump into Melee when I need to, because all the Gigants can go in, uh, go in with Shattering Surprise, as can Euripides. So that's usually uh, a, a way that I play it. Uh, I'll probably be putting the Garyons on at some point. It's just their models are so ugly.
1: So, interestingly, I, I was noticing as both of you were talking that you focused a lot on on either the Geryon or the Gigant, these other models in the crew, what they're doing. I don't think we've actually talked at all about what Euripides is doing here. Like, what is Euripides' role in the crew, and is it different depending on whether you're going a more shooty style or a more melee style?
0: I don't necessarily think it's that different. Um, I think it's going to vary more based on Stratton's scheme. He basically exists to make snow cones and take names. And that's his primary goal. You're using his uh, ice pillar creation as is, is kind of his 90% thing. Um, the game I played, I actually started experimenting with dropping Cyclops out of the list because they are strenuous on your hand. So my ice pillar generation was only Euripides. And so my turn one was literally I make two ice pillars. I teleport up to one chuck one at my opponent, and I make two more ice pillars. And one was to set up for a Gary on to actually kind of push one ice pillar back into my opponent as well, just for fun and profit. And so at that point, I've now built up three ice pillars right in my opponent's deployment zone, right in their face. Euripides is partway up the table, and everyone else can play catch-up. But, you know, he has a very good melee attack. He has a very good teleport. So kind of in that late game, he can also be your scheme runner. Uh, and kind of a similar vein to like Lady Justice with Leap. He has that mobility in that sense. He is a reasonable beat stick. But he's not an outstanding one. He's not someone you want to have in the fray. He's someone you want to have on like cleanup duty. So his, at least for me, his primary early game responsibility is setting up that terrain, setting up the crew, because they all key off the ice pillars that he's the one making. I don't know if that's different for Jeff.
2: Yeah, um, the... I use uh, Euripides kind of as a, uh, a a bit of a meat shield to stop things from uh, getting towards my backfield. Uh, I, he, I He is a 100% a beater. He does a massive amount of damage when he's in melee with a three four six damage track. Uh, the downside to him is for some strange reason, Weird didn't feel like he needed the same thing that everyone in his keyword has, where he gets to heal one and gain shielded uh, within the... Uh, next to a pillar, so he becomes a little bit more fragile. Uh, The puke snake can give him uh, uh, incorporeal, but it only gets you so far, and then somebody activates first uh, in the next turn and goes back in and uh, usually finishes off Euripides uh, if you're not stoning and using things carefully. But um, the good thing I like about him is uh, if you take him in, uh, you can usually kill one model he hits that hard, Uh, and then you can Shattering Surprise back out uh, to safety. So that kind of helps out a little bit better. Uh, the, but it's the, I, the whole ice pillar, uh, for a long time, uh, actually up until recently, for some strange reason, I read his card as uh, when a model drop, uh, dies, it's corpse marker can become a ice pillar. And that's not how that works. And that was pointed out to me recently. Uh, thanks Herman where, uh, it's when a model dies, they become an ice pillar and no markers are dropped. So, uh, now that that has changed significantly, uh, it may change a bit how I play Euripides because in the past I always had ice pillar marker making problems and uh, that clears that up pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, it was pretty funny. Like I looked over at his table and it was all barren. I look at mine, it looks like an icicle forest. I'm like, what, what's going on over there, man?
2: I mean, I was killing people left and right. I just didn't realize I, it was like, if you drop a corpse marker, then I get to make an ice pillar. Like, no, nope, uh, I combine two different abilities for some strange reason.
0: Yeah. Thune can do that as well. Off a corpse marker.
2: Yeah, but uh, yeah, don't overlook Euripides because uh, he's not a, a backfield master. He can wade into the middle of things and absolutely tear somebody apart. Like he can take a master down to zero health and a single activation uh, if he has the right uh, flips plus the focus that's being handed out from a, usually a black blood shaman. But uh, he is very scary when he's in melee, uh, but I wouldn't leave him there too long.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing is that if you're trying to leverage him as a beater like that, I tend to play him more midline. Um, he gets isolated very easily and he gets taken down really quick.
2: The good thing is, uh, this is a crew that if your master does die in the second turn, your game is not over. The crew can completely uh, act independently of its master because all the models and the, the crew have things that they can do, uh, makes things a little bit harder without ice pillars around. But, uh, It it can't uh, continue to operate without him being there.
3: In that case, when you're going into, like, assassinate or going up against a really high damage crew, are you more inclined to bring Cyclopses as alternative Ice Pillar uh, sources?
2: Not for that reason. Uh, The reason why Cyclopses aren't bad, the reason why they're not broad a lot is because they're defense four. For some strange strange reason, everybody else has Defense 5, while a Cyclops has Defense 4. And their Ice Pillar generation is suit dependent. So you have to use that, uh, I think it's a 6 or 7 of Tomes, uh, in order to... I don't have the card in front of me, but in order to get it out. But you have to have the Tome in your hand. They can't don't have any tricks to ma- magically make the suit appear. Uh, so they're very inefficient with uh, their ice pillar uh, making and they're also very inefficient at attacking because they're only step five on their attack they have a two inch reach but they're only step five for their attack so uh it's a three four five damage track when they hit they hit really hard but if your opponent wants to they'll uh cheat in a card and, and be above you so uh for seven soul stones uh it's a bit much asking for a model that isn't very fast doesn't move around very quickly uh, doesn't have very good defense, doesn't have a surefire way of hitting. It's uh, you're, you're asking a lot for seven soulstones, stones and you're not getting that much back.
0: And I think it's kind of interesting to touch on the Cyclops specifically because I feel like that's almost something where this could be a point of hot debate, quote unquote, amongst the community because previously up until recently, I would have always been like, take one mandatory, make that pillar, get your up there, get your guidance up there. And I recently kind of reevaluated that, especially with kind of the damned coming out and some other uh, more play experience with him, and I just kind of started leaving him at home. I I agree that they the defense for sucks, the card inefficiency is not that great. I think people see that they have kind of that grit where they can get the uh, pluses to hit and damage and everything, and they kind of look at that as kind of like making up. I was like, oh, I have the support piece who's also going to be doing these things. I've never really had that work out well for me uh their scheming potential is actually a lot smaller than their ice pillar creation potential because i believe it's a six inch target on that but a 12 inch uh, place on the ice pillars if memory serves me correct so they're actually a lot more limited than i think people realize and with that ping healing you can just substitute one out for sabrina bowman you get that same amount of healing better survivability uh better attacks on top of it and you get to remove conditions as well so I actually just started leaving them at home, and I haven't regretted it since. So it'll be interesting to see if that kind of stays that way.
1: Yeah, it's 12 on the uh, ice pillar creation from Psychops. Yeah, but
2: it's only 6 inches for their uh, their tactical action where they actually get to interact with that ice pillar. If, they had, if, if it was 12 for that interaction, I would still be bringing them. But that limited, like, I can make an ice pillar 12 inches away, and then I have to use a tactical action. It's not a bonus action, I don't believe. Um, it so, is a bonus action. Oh, it is a bonus. So yeah. you make the ice pillar. You walk, and you know you can interact with it, or you can do your tactical action from six inches away. So like it's not that great. And I think the Damned brought a new, uh, better version of getting out ice pillars, where if the Damned has focus. He can breathe uh, his frost breath, where you're doing offensive damage and creating ice pillars at the same time. Uh, so that's way better than just a Cyclops needing a suited, uh, you know, flip to get an ice pillar. Like that's one AP that that Cyclops will never get back. And unless you're bringing outside resources outside of the crew, like candy, these models aren't fast. They're not, they don't have any way of generating AP when you, uh, this is, I think Herman touched on this. Your models have two AP and that's what you get out of them. They are going to get two attacks. And if those attacks are at step five, you're probably not getting the best out of that model.
1: Yeah. The, uh, for the damned, the breath of frost—the trigger to get those blast markers turned into uh, ice pillars—is built in, which is pretty yeah,
0: awesome. which is it's just so dope. That model is a game changer for Savage right there.
1: And leaping over your own ice pillars is excellent. And, and is it that, like, it, or is it the leap? Like, is it the whole package? Is there a particular part that makes the, the damned? Dam-
0: so everything bad that we talked about with Euripides, the damned is the opposite. So it has defensive tech. It has hard to wound. It has AP efficiency. It has pouncing strike, pounce, whatever it's called. Um, It has built-in ice pillar generation. It has built-in healing. It does this extra ping damage. So the damned is a model that can reach out across the table, so it can run your far schemes. If you want to play into a brick, you slot it into your brick. Anytime you frozen vigor, you hit your opponent for another one damage. So it can do all these different things for you is an incredibly synergistic and incredibly strong model.
2: Yeah. And that's a model that you do want up in the fray because as Herman uh, kind of went over, he mentioned the, the pain damage, but while you're doing your old ways, uh, flips and taking one point of damage and then getting, uh, uh walking up to the ice pillar and getting healed and shielded, when you heal yourself, uh, he allows you to pulse out damage. Uh, when that happens. So it's just free one damage when you're in the fray with him. And that's, and that's extraordinary. Like that is a great ability.
0: And he couples so well with the Geryons because, uh, we had a case where I had a Geryon go in, he was beating on a model that had hard to kill. He took that model down to it's hard to kill, heaved it into within an inch of himself and then reformed from ice, healed himself, pinged it for point of damage and killed it. And the garyons is something that you really want to pay attention to heave and chill as their triggers. They are phenomenal triggers because again, you're trying to waste your opponent's AP. So chill, very ex- self-explanatory, give them slow. That's, you know, minus one AP right there. But with heave, you have a combination of a two inch reach model who cannot be charged, who can place you as well. So you can now go in if you're, you know, have this beater who's coming in on you on one inch. Your last attack, you place them at two inches. He's engaged. He's not going anywhere. And you're still hit whaling on him. But if they're a two inch beater, you can actually place them out further than two inches. They cannot charge back into you. They have to walk back into you. They got to get pushed back into you. They got to do some other sort of shenanigans to get back to you. So that is just a phenomenal ability right there. It helps you get your own models around ice pillars as well. It helps you get your own models disengaged. Um, If you're like looking to hire in Hinamatsu, you know, now you have this armor two model. That so way, you're able to heave Hinamatsu up the table with just you know smack it with a low ram, you know push that guy three inches, and you're getting what three inches plus three inches plus the base size is almost eight inches, nine inches of movement for free. Do one damage to Hinamatsu.
3: So are the Lissa and the Tongans just non models? Do we just not care about those at all? No one has said anything models. good about either of those models for basically this entire podcast.
0: I'm going to well, let Jeff start because then I'm going to rab- rapidly disagree with him. Uh,
2: the Lyssa have a place uh, in both Titania and Euripides. I do not like the Bulltongan. Uh They are they're, like, they don't have the defensive tech uh, of the, the Frozen Bigger, where they get to heal and shield it. Uh, they're fast. I mean, they can move around fast, but you don't need that anymore because you have the Damned uh, that can run and do scheme markers for you and will actually live. Um, plus, there are other things in your crew that can actually accomplish schemes. And if you want a scheme runner, there's way better ones than the, the boltungan to do it. So, uh, I really dislike the boltungan, unfortunately, because I actually like their models, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't like them. The Lissa are interesting because anything that has a, uh, a pool or a, uh, uh, any any kind of a lore type thing is pretty good. Uh, they're incorporeal by default, so they have some defense built into them. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, they're built in trigger where they can make a model attack. Uh, it's okay, but you're hitting a step four, so you can't ask for a whole lot. I usually don't take either one of them to be honest.
0: So I'll, I'll start on the Lysa. I think they're actually, for their cost, the Lysa are really, really competent models. I mean, they're fives across the board for a four cost model. They have incorporeal, which is basically, you know, pseudo armor one. It lets you get through the um, ice pillars, no problem. But then if you're kind of going into something like ley if you're going into something like turf four, you want to be able to leverage that bring it so that you can move models off, uh, particularly on ley If you know where their uh, ley person is going, you can bring that list up and pull that model off of that ley line, cost them that extra point, make them have to back up Recap that ley line. So that's where it's really useful to me. There, I'm less excited about it um, as using your own, pulling your own models up because I don't think it's as efficient as some of the other techniques. Um, and then staggered. I mean, for kind of a throwaway ability, staggered is really useful because of all the movement tools that you're kind of creating with the ice pillars as well. So I think the lists are actually quite competent. Uh, they're just something that kind of ends up being a very niche hire rather than kind of a core hire for me. Now the Baltungan are actually even more niche than the Lissa, they are what I use as my Leyline Runner because they can move quite quickly with the Deadly Pursuit. Because um, they are movement six, so you have six, 12, 16 inches in a turn. So they have that going for them. They also have the Abundant Growth. So when you put him down, you're actually putting Severe Terrain in front of your opponent put in their deployment zone, slow them down, waste their AP. You see the theme here, and it lets you set up the ice pillars more effectively. Uh, you can also couple them if you want to hire in the emissary. You can kind of do some placement shenanigans with the emissary and that rough terrain as well to get some bonuses, be it for healing or be it for um, his attacks. So I think they're kind of useful. The other thing is if you are using them as your scheme runner, um, sorry, ley line runner, you have tossed in the mud on them. So what you can do is you can leave them four inches away from your marker. You can use that extra distance for tossing the mud to move your models up. You don't have to worry about moving the Baltingen back to the marker because he's just going to push four inches at the end of the turn and get there. So you're getting a little extra pushes from him there. You're getting your marker. It's this cheap-ass model that you really don't care about. He's going to run. He's fast enough to get to the other one. He's fast enough to get up the middle. And at that point, he's probably just going to die. I mean, let's be honest.
2: Are you, are you really using a seven to push a model two inches?
0: If you can top deck it and then old ways.
2: Uh, that, that's sounds bad, man.
0: He's, he's a useless model otherwise. He's just like sitting in the back. He might as well do something for me.
2: Yep. Useless model. You nailed it right on the head right there.
1: Uh, so what about the last keyword model, Thune? Seems like a
3: real asshole. Seems like a real asshole just boxing your opponent with a stat six attack not even resistible blocking like any of the Terra stuff. You just turn him into an ice pillar. You turn him into an ice pillar and he's gone forever.
2: You'd be surprised at like people freak out over that. And uh, like for a while there, people were like, it's so unfair that you can bring Thune and a doppelganger and you can bury four models in a turn. I'm like, "Um, okay, first of all, that's not going to work how you how, work out how you think it's going to work. Uh, like, that's a the, all the stars and moons aligned for you to be able to do something like that. Second, getting rid of the ice pillars is not that hard anymore. Like, it's not an interact action to get rid of an ice pillar. It's just an action. So even if there's a giant or a Garion or something standing next to it, just walk up to it and remove the ice pillar. It's not that difficult to do. And then your guy pops out and, like, The biggest thing is uh, when he can do it to scheme runners off on the side and remove something that you've misplaced out of position. And that's really good uh, because now somebody has to get over there to take out that ice pillar. Uh, But, you know, the the other thing that uh, you can do potentially is use a giant to smag it into an ice pillar. You're, You're one of their models into the ice pillar next and teleport them next to Thune. Uh, and the backfield, and then Thune makes that into an ice pillar. Now he's got to get through your whole crew to get back to that ice pillar. That is something that's kind of interesting and fun, but uh, Thune is a good model, but he sometimes gets dropped from my list.
0: That is such a dreamland theory foe corner case. that Has like that ever happened where you get a guy all the way across, you push your opponent's model two inches into some random ice pillar you have there with the ram, and then you, you, no, that's come on.
2: Yes, because Gigants, I use, I use more than one Gigant in a list. When you have three, they end up doing fun things like that.
1: That
0: implies you're even getting across the table with them.
1: So, so are you saying? So you're saying the play is push an enemy model. So the the ability in question here is Gigant on their tack has a trigger. You can push the enemy model if you push them into an ice pillar they get teleported to another ice pillar of your choice. Are you saying that you do that, teleport them to some other isolated place, and then Thune turns them into a pillar?
2: Yeah, you teleport it next to Thune, uh, usually out on the side somewhere, and then Thune can uh, basically make them an ice pillar, yes. Yeah, okay. uh, him, him making somebody an ice pillar is not hard to do. He's a stat six, uh, and you can uh, uh, stone for the suit that you need, so he can make an ice pillar out of somebody. That's not that difficult.
3: And the yeah, utility so- of this will vary depending on how easily your opponent can remove uh, destructible terrain. But if you are going up against a keyword or a faction that can't casually do that, you know, worst case scenario, that trigger gave a model you didn't target slow because it just consumed their AP to do something else. And best case, they can't actually get to that ice pillar in any reasonable fashion. And you've removed a model from the board uh, based off of a single duel, regardless of damage flip. It seems pretty good. It seems like a pretty good thing.
0: It is good. good. It's just Thune to me is a tech piece. He's a tech hire. He's just, he's not a 10% tech hire. He's closer to a 40% tech hire. He's something where if you have a strat or a scheme pool that's going to encourage your opponent to spread out horizontally, you can isolate those individual models. You can arrange your symbols of authority to isolate those individual models. He can run a flank and he can pop them off that way. But he's a flinker. He's not a beater. He's not going to go into the Milva crew. He's not going to hit things. He certainly does not punch up above his cost at all. He's got a crappy ass track of two four six. Um,
2: Wait, what? Hold on. It's two four six, but that's the same damage track that the Damned has. It's, yeah, they're both cheaper. two four six. It is cheaper, but I don't. I'm more of a sixty percent higher with Thune, but I don't. I think Thune. I take him probably more than uh, Herman does, but Herman likes taking his uh, super friends list where he brings in things that aren't Savage a lot. So,
0: yeah, I'm not as fluffy as Jeff. Um, Did you just call me fat? Not
1: no, fluffy, no, I, I called like you a Philly cheesesteak. Uh,
2: I have layers, okay? Damn.
0: So, and one of the things that that is worth pointing out about Thune as we talk about him on these flanking uh, situations is he is speed six. He is actually relatively quick relative to some of the other things in the uh, list. Um, The other way that I'll actually use him is if I know my opponent is going to put something into me as a roadblock. This is where I took him actually against Jeff with English Ivan. English Ivan summons his models off of your shadows. That means he is trying to summon into the middle of your crew, which is really effing annoying when you got to kill this ridiculous model. So if you have like the dreamer, they summon these models off of your models. You know, it's going to be log jamming your crew. They bring the model in, they pop into the middle of your guys and you just pop in into tone ice pillar and move along. These are models that are self isolating for you and you can deal with them in a very efficient and quick fashion. Uh, the other places where he's good is like these elite alpha strike crews like Nekimo with the mature Nephilim. You've got this big model. He's going to come into you. He has kind of a limited amount of AP because he has this elite crew. You have intuition so you can get around the – you can't cheat when you attack them so you can make sure you've got the right card that you need and then you can go in and you can just pop a mature into an ice pillar. If he's chasing around getting rid of this ice pillar that's on your side of the table in your crew with Nekimo with his mature – that is a really good use of wasting his AP. The other thing is that he cannot grow up another model into that mature if it's in a nice pillar. He, got it, he can only have two on the table. So that's where I do kind of bring in Thune defensively. Um, and then I use him as a flanker. That's why he's a tech piece, but he's a very high value, high use tech piece.
2: And I think I, I I, now that I'm looking at this, I think I know why I probably use Thune more than Herman does. I also like bringing candy, and candy can hand out fast to things. So a fast Thune is very scary to your opponent. The other thing to look at with Thune uh, that's kind of interesting is his arctic pull. And uh, anyone that's ever played Anya or played some of Euripides knows that uh, anything where uh, the target number dual is whatever the dual total was is really, really good and if you have an ice pillar that's uh, behind two models and you can position Thune in such a way where he can pull that ice pillar to hit both of them, he can do that twice in a turn uh, with very high target numbers using the old ways back to back and do a pretty good amount of damage, something what, between the two uh, hits from the ice pillars 8 damage if it's hitting two models uh, that's 4 each that's pretty good
3: Yeah. again, the, uh, the, the push and pull changes yes, okay. help out a lot there because otherwise, there is, what, literally one space in the world where you could pull that ice spiller to, to hit two models because of how tangent lines work?
0: You mean theory foe where it'll never happen? Yeah.
3: Oh, no, no. You just have to declare it. But, like, there's only one place you can do it. Now you can do it from a wide range of locations, so you don't have to uh, quite so carefully position your Thune to accomplish that, which is nice.
0: Yeah, I haven't tried it since the um, the changes to push-pull. I've just been using him to beat and bury but I mean, prior to that, I would have said Jeff was dreaming on actually using that ability.
2: No, it's uh, because your Euripides can place the ice pillars pretty much wherever he wants within uh, like a large distance of himself. It's not eight inches. That, um, that's eight inches when he. Oh, you play you play your Euripides back in the like your deployment zone and crap. Like mine's actually up there in the fight.
0: Yes, mine is alive at the end of the game.
3: Ooh, f- freezer burn.
0: Okay. <laughs> big heart, Jeff. Big heart frozen heart put big heart
3: hashtag not that ice color so
2: moving on uh so that owen can finish this up before he has to leave
0: yeah let's go on to a model that i think we all agree on which is the Black Blood shaman so we had talked about previously how useful focus is in conjunction with the old ways it turns out that neverborn has a model who blasts out focus to literally everybody with a any low ass mask in your hand which is a Blood shaman so This is, again, this goes back to plan out your turn one, know where all your models are going to move, but you start with your black blood shaman, he charges, usually Euripides, pops him, creates a corpse marker, picks it up, blasts out focus, and then he does it turn two, and he grows up into a mature Nephilim, who has the advantage of being fast, he has the advantage of being flight, so he does not care about your um, ice pillars. And so he's able to either go run schemes as you need to, go be a third beat stick if you need him to. Uh, there's a lot of different things that you can do with a mature Nephilim in this list. So Black Blood Shaman is a very, very useful out of keyword hire. I'm waiting for Jeff to disagree.
1: Well, how, how often are you bringing in Black Blood Shaman?
0: It's gotten tighter since the Damned, but pretty often. Like maybe every other game thereabouts.
2: The black blood shaman is amazing uh, for Europe. It's uh, just being able to hand out the focus and then getting another high damage, very fast moving beater uh, from either turn two or turn three onward is really good. So uh, I've got. I usually include a black blood shaman in the crew, uh, particularly because I'm using jagans and throwing rocks at people. So
0: yeah, it's and he's um, he's just been great to me. He kind of competed. He started replacing kind of the cyclops in my list. And then you start looking at, as well, Serena Bowman. Uh, even though she did get hit with Nerf Bat, she's still just a fantastic healer. Um, you
1: love Serena.
0: I love she's Serena Bowman. So she's just a fantastic healer. She's stupid good. You should definitely look into taking her, uh, in my opinion.
1: Uh, what a
3: bold option. Who takes Serena Bowman? Jeez.
0: It doesn't even matter that they like made her a little squishier. I still take her because she's healing. Like Neverborn needs healing and Euripides especially needs healing because you're hurting yourself. So she helps you with that. Um, And then the other model I think is worth touching on is actually Hinamatsu because Hinamatsu is basically everything Savage is lacking. You've got the armor, you've got distracted, you've got some staying power. uh, You've got AP efficiency with being able to make extra attacks. It's just a really solid model that you should look into bringing in.
1: So, I heard Jeff mention candy several times. Is there a, a candy combo that needs to be covered?
2: I love candy. Do, do, do. Now, uh, so candy by herself does a lot for the European East crew between giving her two AP models and an additional AP, uh, and some of the models, their, uh, bonus action, particularly like thunes, uh, isn't all that great. Uh, so if you're not worried about, uh, doing a bonus action and you're not worried about having to declare triggers. She can also uh, use her bonus action to uh, give fast to something too. It's fast and stunned, so you can't do your triggers, but she helps out uh, with a lot of these things. Uh, And in general, uh, I have been known to uh, use candy and shove her into an ice pillar with my own guys to teleport her up the board where she is unactivated. Uh, And when things activate around her, they have to discard a card and... Uh, gain stunned, which is pretty awesome. Uh, I know that, uh, Herman's gonna be like, well, you could just wait till she goes last and, uh, walk, walk and then teleport her. She can teleport herself up. Yes, but she's not having an impact on the board, uh, until the next turn, where in this, uh, case, she can start impacting the board immediately. Uh, I actually, uh, did this to Craig Shipman in a fun game that we played, uh, before Novo one day, and he was like, man, candy is annoying as fuck. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what she is. Like you can't declare triggers uh, because you're stunned when you activate around her. And she just, she's annoying as shit. Uh, Plus the other benefits that she gives to your crew. It's, I I like Candy a lot, Uh, not just in this crew and Neverborn in general, but she does do a lot of things that Neverborn lack particularly fast.
0: I think that this is stupid and terrible.
2: I think you're stupid and terrible.
0: It is like, it'll maybe work once. It is the most telegraphed teleport possible. I was like, oh, you have candy in your list. Oh, you're using your master or whoever to set up an ice pillar next to her and then throwing an ice pill into the middle of the crew. I wonder what you're going to do next. And you're going to have an activation. Your opponent's going to have an activation in between in order to remove the ice pillar. And we've all agreed that they're going to be a smart opponent and take ice pillar removing tech. Like they're going to figure out that it's coming. Don't waste all of this AP with trying to set it up. If you want to do the candy bomb, activate her, butt last walk, walk and teleport her. She's got a trigger that does this for you. You're jumping through the hoops of two different models, activations in order to do this. It's ridiculous.
2: So if you have bothered to use your, uh, uh, your marker removal tech on the ice pillar that I've stuck in your crew, candy is still back there providing immense, uh, support for my, my crew, and you have now, she's effectively given you slow from across the board because you mo- removed an ice pillar that uh, I didn't even need to use because she's now back there giving my crew fast. So, okay. I mean, cool. You removed it. Good job.
0: And if you want to bring her in as a fast spot, that's perfectly fine. But like, I-, I feel like people like really upsell this and it's like such an easy thing. Like the primordial magic can just walk and remove an ice pillar. Like any random model who no one cares about can do this.
2: Yes, but Euripides can put down six a turn. Uh, so I'm not really all that concerned about you removing an ice pillar. And at some point in time, a giant can, you can even do this with matsu, Because there's ice pillars, you know, usually a lot of places on the board. So I'm not too concerned about you removing an ice pillar. I don't necessarily need to telegraph that I'm, you know, it could be an ice pillar that I'm setting up for the next turn. Uh, Like it doesn't have to be on the turn that I, you know, maybe I just stuck it in your crew to pulse out damage to them, Uh, you know, but it's how I play and I like it.
0: And my point is not use shattering shove. Shattering shove is a useful ability, but it is resource intensive. And so you need to use it wisely. And I don't feel like sliding a freaking ice pillar across the table and telegraphing a teleport like that. Is that like, if you're going to use it for Hinamatsu, it's like an ice pillar in the middle of the field. It's much harder to remove. It's much less telegraphed. You can use it for scheming. You can use it for a bunch of other things. And that's fine. It's just this particular candy bomb that people get like all tied up with. I'm like, Oh, it's so inefficient.
1: All right. Well, you have two perspectives on it. Listeners, if you are a fan of the candy bomb or not a fan of the candy bomb, tell us whose argument you side with. We'd love to hear it. Uh, But we're going to have to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into missions When you take the Euripides, uh, Herman says, in every strat. Um, But we'll talk a little bit about how you might adapt to different strats. So stick with us. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back, folks. Thanks for sticking with us. In our final segment of today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about when you bring Savage to the table in Gaining Grounds Season 2. So take it away, Jeff.
2: Man, just put me on the spot there. Um, when I bring Savage, and I actually only played Savage into one game of Gaming Crowns 2, because I just got back to playing my Neverborn. Uh, so um, honestly, I don't necessarily think that they're the best option for a lot of things from Neverborn. I actually think Zoraida is your all comers list. Uh, but there are some things that they will excel at. And I think one of the big ones is going to be turf war uh just the the flipping the markers and uh being able to reasonably do a lot of damage and denying your opponents i think that's probably where i'd go do a go-to with them although with titania looming in the background not sure that that's the best pick but uh herman felt like he can be played into anything so let's go to herman
0: way to pass the responsibility there that's and what I do. The thing is, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're already playing Savage. Like, you're like, hey, these are my boys. I want to play them. Here's the thing. You can play them in anything. They will be good across the table in all four of the strats, particularly in Gaining Grounds 2, which is actually a really, really big buff to the Savage keyword. But with the Savage keyword, remember, we talked about you're fat, you're slow, you're from Philadelphia. You're not. It's not good things. So the thing is, is, you want to play at the middle yeah, of
1: the table. That Herman, sorry. Just need to interrupt to say I want to see someone out there paint up their crew just as gritty, right? Like let's just have them all be gritty.
0: I think is all going to be like a sweat sweatshirt and sweatpants
1: <laughs> with like with like blobs of
2: slobber and like chicken grease on their shirts.
1: <laughs> I mean, I and I, always, I already thought that the is it the, the Gigant like who's the one with holding the rocks in their hand? The Gigants. Yeah, yeah, they like someone should paint those up as like a basketball and give them just gym short, like just have them be a ridiculous sports team. Uh, and I want to see that crew converted. Here comes and the
3: monsters.
1: Exactly, it'd be awesome. All right, sorry, I t- completely derailed you. So back to back to the strategy.
0: No, I mean you can tell I'm a Nationals fan, and to hell with the Phillies. Um, but yeah, so you you really want to be focusing all of your attention on the center line. You ain't that quick. You're not going to get across it. You're not going to be, you know, the speed demon list, this alpha striking list. And the thing is, is all of these strats and gaining grounds too let you play this. You have turf war. How, how do we play turf war? We've played turf war before. You got a big pile in the center of the table. Ley line, How people play ley Line. You got a big pile in the center of the table. Um, break the line. Where are all these things going? They're going in the center of the table. And then symbols is kind of the oddball one, but you have ways of playing symbols too that we'll get to. So really... You're already set up for turf four and leyline. You're you're done. It's easy. You bring in the Baltagan for leyline. You can consider Alyssa if you want to pull them off the leyline marker, and then you just bring a bring a brick uh, turf four. You you know maybe bring in Hinamatsu for a little bit more staying power. Maybe bring in Serena for that healing, that staying power, and then you're doing that same thing. Now, where things kind of start getting a little different, and a little bit more interesting, is when you look at symbols and when you look at break the line. So, a symbol specifically, something I want people to consider is most people, when you're doing like wedge, standard, or corner, you're putting your symbols across your deployment zone horizontally. You're trying to maximize that distance. Instead, I want people to consider putting two symbols on each of the table edges for their deployment zone. And what you're trying to do is you want to split your opponent up in between those two table edges so that they are we, they're split up, they are getting self-isolated onto those sides with their models that they're using to run these things. Now they become perfect thune bait. Now you're isolating them so Suthun can pick him off. Now you're isolating them so the Damned can come in, he can focus, he can do 7 damage with a crit strike. He can pick off the Scheme Runners. So now you're getting to the point where you're breaking your opponent's brick up. You have your still brick of strength. If they're going that horizontal route, you're just kind of pushing up the middle of the table. You now have models like the Damned who are also able to threaten symbols. You are able to start doing those teleport shenanigans to threaten the symbols. And if you really want to go defensive, like say you're against something like Terra you can bring in the guidance in order to use cave drawings and shut down the interaction next to those symbols as well. So I think you have a lot of options with symbols if you change the way you think about that strategy. And then uh, finally, you also have Break the Line. This is where you're going to be making some sacrifices. So Break the Line, you're going to have these four markers on the center line. Pick two of them. These are the two that you're going to be bricking on. These are going to be your two markers. These are going to be your capital. You are sticking your claim on these guys. And then you're going to pick one of those and Thune is going to go for that other one. He's going to be there for, again, that one model that runs off that isolates itself. If you're Owen, that's going to be a Ronin. Um, And he's just going to go, he's going to ice brick them and then that's it. And if Thune gets kind of logged up with two or three models, well then, Hey, he's logged up with two or three models and you still have your two there. You know, you're sacrificing that one extra piece that's going to be too far, too out of the way. Again, that's where you can decide if you want to bring in that guy again. You can drop down the ice pillar. You can try to cave drawings. That's going to be very hard to defend. So essentially, you're giving up the one marker. So that way you can camp on two of them. So you're kind of controlling those two. You have Thune um, going and he's contesting that third one. And then you're running your schemes as well. So you still have this way of getting kind of those three points you're contesting with your opponent on a lot of them. And so that's the way I'd play that one specifically. But again, that's on the center line. That is your strength. That's your support. And if you're running that garyon brick, you've got the two-inch reach. That's a lot harder once you spark to next to these pillars in order to interact around. You, again, have access to the guy against. So you can have access to the ice pillars near them. You can make a lot of difficulty with your opponent on trying to interact with these pillars. They are coming into you. You know where they will be. That's my that, rant.
2: that was a lot of words. Um, I'm going to summarize all of that with if you're in a single master tournament, you can bring Euripides and you'll be okay. Uh, but to me, there are other masters within the faction that, that accomplish each one of these individual strats better. Uh, but Euripides is fun to play. So.
1: Well, and talk to us a little bit about the Dark Horse aspect of this, right? Because I, I definitely think Euripides is probably seeing a little bit less play than some of the other choices. It's it's not necessarily the obvious choice here, so that can actually have advantages, though, because your opponent may be expecting one thing or have practiced and prepared against one thing, and when you throw the curveball master at them, that they maybe have never played or only played once or twice, that opens some opportunities for you. Do you think that that is going to be something that's very helpful, Herman?
0: I mean, I like Dark Horse Masters because I think they're fun. Um, I think it's an area of tabletop gaming where I really enjoy where it's an opportunity for people to be creative within the rules, within the models they're choosing, within their interactions. And you can get that surprise. Like, how many people have seen the Candy Bomb that first time? That first time, it gets you by surprise. How many people have seen Chattering Shove that first time? or just have running up, knew how to counter higher ice pillar removal things into their crew. If you are not bringing in ice pillar removal into your crew and you're playing against Euripides, you're going to have kind of a rough time unless you have like flight or things like that. You can get bogged down very quickly. So that's where kind of that surprise comes into play. The downside of that is if your opponent's pretty good and they can shuffle on the fly, you don't have a lot of other things that can really pressure them um, other than just like whacking them with a club you know min damage 3. So there's some give and take to that where a lot of it is going to depend on the surprise factor but also how quickly your opponents able to respond.
1: Have you done a survey I mean an exhaustive survey but like which which factions do have good uh ice pillar removal versus not good ice pillar removal? All of
0: them except for Neverborn. <laughs>
1: okay. Resurus is it's
3: very highly specialized.
0: But remember, it's not just destructible terrain. It's also marker removal because they are it's ice true. pillar markers.
2: It's true.
1: True. But so like blown apart, obviously, is the, the premium, which is in outcasts and 10 thunders. Who else has? Does anyone else have blown apart? Uh, Guild has it as well. All okay. right.
2: Um, Wait, doesn't 10 thunders have like everything?
0: I don't is there
2: anything they don't have
0: okay let's see just for removing destructible terrain guild has the riot breaker Neverborn, you have to bring in a poltergeist arcanist has willy the union miner the soulstone miner outcast has mad dog and the drotch trooper gremlins have the lucky emissary pair ravage alphonse ten thunders have the obsidian oni sidir archibald and that's not even touching on the ones who remove markers
1: yeah, okay, yeah, so specifically the blown apart, the blow to hell, yeah, it's on 10 Thunders, it's on Bayou, it's on Arcanist, yeah, so most of them. Uh, so maybe against Explorers? Does Explorers have good random marker removal? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Not
0: to uh, mention, if you play against Jetsa with Euripides, you're going to have a rough time. You're going to have a very rough super time. Super
1: bad
3: time. Rezzers are really bad on it. They have marker removal in the form of Molly. And that's not really something you can generally take into all crews in all situations. Yeah. Okay.
0: And then obviously Neverborn with... I mean, yes, technically they have it on the Poltergeist, but now you have to specifically have Pandora or bring in Pandora, then higher in her totem. So it's not like they can tech in that piece. Gotcha.
1: Okay. Sorry. So we went down a little bit of rabbit hole. It sounds like there are options if people have the models know to bring it, um, depending on their faction. Um, are there like, so looking at these strategies, uh, are there particular things you're gonna, that are going to drive you to take Euripides um, in terms of the table that you're playing on?
0: Uh, a lot of it's going to be around how well can he maneuver. You're obviously going to have the one incorporeal model with primordial magic. So, can you get your models unpacked? Is this something where it's going to be difficult? If it's you know, like break the line, is a more spread out scenario. You're on the center line, but it is across the table. If it's a table with a lot of clutter terrain, then break the line is going to be a lot harder, even though it is technically on the center line. Things like that. So you really have to kind of look: are there a lot of choke points where 50 millimeter bases can't fit through? Uh, those are all things that you need to be aware of. You guys, you just you don't corner well. You know, you're American Muscle.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, uh, choke points are things that I look for, particularly for my opponent. uh, Because if you can throw a couple of ice pillars into a choke point, uh, it makes the, uh, a lot of them will, some of them will still bring their models through the choke point and get rid of the ice pillars, but that takes time and activation, or an AP, while the rest of them will be forced to go around in a different way, uh, which is, it's nice, uh, and you can kind of control the terrain that way.
1: Great.
0: And I mean, that becomes a hiring factor with the Black Blood Shaman as well. You're more likely to take him in situations where you need a model of flight in order to get the things done that you need to do.
1: All right. Well, any closing thoughts on Euripides?
0: So I know we started out fairly negative on him, and that's because he is a challenge to play. I do really strongly feel that he is worth the time to learn how to play It is very rewarding to play them. They are very cool models. Uh, You're not going to regret it if you put in the time. Just expect, you know, if your normal learning curve is six games, he may take you 10 games to kind of get past that learning curve with. And that's okay.
2: I I think uh, I give this tip to anyone that's starting a crew. Go through and make a list of important uh, cards that you want to see in your hand. Uh, Go through and find what your crew needs uh, and make sure you keep that list with you. So you can refer back to it. And when you pull your hand, you can be like, okay, this card is dedicated to to this guy's uh, ability. This one is dedicated to this one's ability. Make sure you have those cards in your hand uh, and make your game, game plan when the turn starts because that's how you get the most out of this crew is figuring out what you can do and what you can't do.
0: That is so important for turn one. It'll get easier as the game goes on. For turn one, that is critical. Uh, If you can stone with Euripides instead of spending that Tomes and save it for a Cyclops or a Geryon, stone with Euripides instead. I bring a higher than average cash with him for that purpose.
1: Well, there you have it. Well, uh, thank you all for listening. And we will be back in your feed again with another exciting episode soon. So until then, happy gaming. Peace. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Capital
0: City Crew Podcast. We hope you tune in next time.